grateful that we could get to know you a little bit more. Thank you for sharing your story. Praise God for you. Um, I want to give you a quick personal update. Some of you might have heard that our son, Philip, was in the hospital this week. Uh, Thursday night, he just um, he just had difficulty breathing. His breathing was just very labored, so uh, we tried some albuterol at home and did a few things, but it just wasn't going down. He's just really heavy breathing. So we took him to the ER, and uh, they just uh, they decided to keep him. Uh, so he's, he's, he's still in the hospital, but they said they would uh, uh, discharge him today. He's gotten a lot better, so thank you for your prayers. Um, those of you who are parents uh, know how hard it is to watch your child uh, hurt. Uh, I think Pastor Kevin said, said it best, when, when, um, when, when they hurt, your heart bleeds, right? Um, and, and the way their friend said is, there's no pain like kid pain. You've heard that phrase? There's no pain like kid pain. Gosh, they put the IV into his arm, and oh my gosh. Uh, I felt like they were uh, ripping my heart out, you know? And those of you who are parents know what that feels like. But thank God he's okay. Um, uh, the other quick update that I want to give you is uh, all of you have been praying for our New, New Rochelle Ridgeway site for the last better part of the last year. Uh, we've gone through so many ups and downs, so many moments of discouragement. Some of you know over 30 different sites we had considered, a lot of no's, a lot of rejections, just trying to figure out, God, what is it that you're trying to do? Um, I wondered if uh, I could still move on many times, but... The Lord has been so faithful in encouraging us to keep going. So I just want to especially thank Pastor Kevin for not giving up on this vision, to the elders for keeping on it. Uh, and I just want to share with you that as of last month, uh, we have a site. God opened a door. Um, praise God. So we've, we've thought about a few different ways to approach this, but... About last month, we went back to Iona, which was our first uh, uh, location that we really wanted. Uh, and we went back to them and said, okay, well, can you rent to us just once a week? Because we were asking for weekly earlier, and they couldn't do it. So we said, once a month. And uh, they said, okay, and they ended up giving us twice a month. So we have, we have commitments uh, from them to rent space from them twice a month from March till August. And uh, our hope is that by August, we can go into a weekly site, either there or another place that God will open. But we just didn't want to wait any longer to take action, but we wanted to move forward with what God has opened for us. So we will start with one worship service a month, and we'll use the second date for a w prayer and worship night or a discipleship night or something like that. So please mark your calendars, March 8th and March 22nd. March 8th, next Sunday, will be our first praise and worship night, and it will be at 5.05. Why 5.05? Because everybody shows up five minutes late anyway, <laughs> right? And it'll be called 5.05. So you'll ask, what is 5.05? What time does 5.05 meet? And you'll say, well, it meets at 5.05, right? So uh, please share with your friends, especially those who live in that southeast corner of uh, the Westchester County and northeast corner of the Bronx. We're praying that God will uh, use this to be a light in this community. Of all the ups and downs we've been through, one thing is for sure. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is what God wants. And for all of us, it is our simple, small way to say yes to God. 
right? It's our yes to say, God, we know you want to do this, and we just, we don't know what you're going to do with it, but we give you our yes to say, God, whatever you want to do, we don't want this not to happen because of us, amen? It's our way of saying, God, please use this to reach more people for the kingdom, and that's why all of us are here, amen? Uh, so please pray for us. Uh, please pray that God will use us. Um, and we we want, if there are other people going to other churches, that's fine. We want people who are not connected to churches. We are. We want people that are um, not 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 connected to the Lord to be invited to be part of a community like this. So through some wonderful volunteers in our church. Uh, they've designed some bookmarks because who throws away bookmarks, right? So we've made bookmarks for you to take take some with you. And another f uh, family in our church, they volunteered to print this for us. So they've donated all of this to us. Uh, take some bookmarks. It is right at the exit as you leave. If you have friends in this area or who might be wanting to be a part of this, please take some bookmarks, give it to them. Um, this is one church. Pastor Kevin is still the senior pastor. It's still a Ridgeway church. So uh, if you're committed here, we encourage you to be committed here. But if you live in that corner, we encourage you to consider making this your home site. All right? All right, let's dive in. So we're in this series on encountering Jesus, right? And so today we're going to continue the series and we'll look at Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 30 all the way to verse 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken piece of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life. And we pray that you would speak life into our hearts today. 
you know, Lord, where our hearts have been all week. And you know all the things that we are looking ahead to this coming week. And we just pause now to say, Lord, our hearts are open to you. Please speak to us. Give us a word, Lord, that will nourish our soul and speak life to our bones. We pray that you would use the scripture and make it come to life in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So I want to talk to us today about seeing divine possibilities. So we are continuing our series, right? So we started the series off, of course, John the Baptist encounters Jesus. And in that very chapter, we know that Jesus calls disciples and the disciples encounter Jesus. In chapter two, we're told the paralytic man encounters and his friends encounter Jesus, right? And then Matthew, the tax collector and his friends encounter Jesus. And of course, Matthew throws a party and all of his buddies come over and they encounter Jesus. And then of course, we learned about how the demoniac, the demon-possessed man also encounters Jesus, and then he is released to go be a blessing and preach all across his villages. And now we're in this story, and you might think we would make a big deal about the thousands of people encountering Jesus. But in reality, I think I want to focus on how these disciples are encountering Jesus in a very interesting way. So this story about feeding of the 5,000 appears in each of the four Gospels. Why is that a big deal? Because this is the only miracle story that appears in each of the Gospels. Some of you might remember that the synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic meaning similar. They, they share a lot of the same story, same narrative. Of course, each of the authors are using their own vision and their own way of uh, telling the story, but there's so much overlap between the first three Gospels. John, of course, is a very different Gospel, a lot of new material, but this is the only miracle that appears in each of the four Gospels. So it's very, very powerful, right? Especially this is early in the ministry. The second thing to notice, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in this passage, but then a couple of chapters later, especially in Mark's Gospel, and it's repeated in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus feeds the 4,000. And again, that is using seven loaves, feeding the 4,000 men alone. In this story, Jesus is using five loaves to feed 5,000 men alone. So here we are in this story. The disciples, just before we got to this passage, had been going from village to village to village, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons, and they're so psyched. They come back and they're like, Jesus, you won't believe what is happening. People are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are getting set free. It's the most amazing thing. And it's so interesting to me what Jesus would say to them. Now, think about it. What would you say if you were Jesus? You send these boys out and they come back and like, Jesus, we're killing it. And what would you say? Jesus would be like, good job, boys. Let's try another town, right? What would you do? I mean, but Jesus says to them, no, when they came back, Jesus withdrew to Bethsaida. And the scriptures say they couldn't even eat because the people kept coming and going. So Jesus says, come away and rest. And he took them to a solitary place. It's so easy for us to brush past this introductory verse to this amazing miracle story, isn't it? But there's such power in what Jesus is doing. In fact, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is started with this language of going to a solitary place, coming away and rest. And in fact, 
it ends also with the story after Jesus has fed everybody, he forces the disciple into, into a boat to go away to say, let's get away and get quiet. It's almost like the bookends of this story. This idea of Jesus saying, come away from all of the noise, from all of the success, all of the glamour, all of the people. Come away and get quiet. Now, this idea of Jesus desiring this quiet is not the first time it has happened. In fact, it has happened in Mark's gospel in chapter 1. You might remember the story of Jesus is at the house of Simon's mother-in-law. Remember that? Jesus heals the mother-in-law, and then the entire village shows up, and they all have problems. Jesus heals everybody. And then we're told early the next morning, Jesus leaves the house and goes up a mountain to a solitary place. Ah, notice, to pray. So interesting. I mean, this idea of vision of solitary coming away rest happens multiple times throughout the gospel it's almost like jesus loves to get away from all of the noise you know uh, some of us you know if you, uh, some of our buddhist friends for example they talk a lot about meditation right so in buddhist meditation the idea is one of the things they often say is the reason you have so much problems in your life the reason why you have so much tension and stress and all of this is because you have desire you are yearning for something you want something and you're striving for that that striving is creating all of this angst in your life so what do you do get rid of that angst get rid of the desire get rid of the striving so what do you do you go to meditation and in meditation the whole point is emptying yourself you come to a place where you think about stuff that that will allow you to decompress and and let go of everything to come to a place of emptiness but then you never think about what happens once you get to emptiness right the idea is you come and then you're just kind of absorbed into the whatever ultimate reality is out there, right? It's atheistic, there's no theistic framework there. But in Christian, I mean, this is especially important because as we were launching this new Rochelle site, I would go on Google, right? I would go to maps.google.com and I would just type in meditation centers around me. Have you, have you ever done that? It's fascinating to think of how many meditation centers, Buddhist uh, temples are all over Westchester. In fact, some of you might remember I quoted the statistic a few, few months ago, which is uh, Christianity Today reported on Yale University's campus. The majority of people that go to the Buddhist meditation center are whites, while the majority of people that are part of the Christian campus ministry at Yale are Asian. It's so interesting, right? This glamour, this, this I know, so funny, right? You might think... But it, it is actually depictive of where our culture is at, this fascination, this attraction to, ooh, the Oriental, oh, this Eastern meditation, or whatever, you know, this glam, but it's really a glimpse of post-Christendom. It's a glimpse of a rejection of Christianity and rejection of Christ to look for some other spirit spiritual experience but what we have that's different and some of us might have this pressure about yoga and meditation etc but what's very important to realize is in christian meditation in the biblical way of thinking about it god is not against meditation right jesus gets away to a quiet place but the point is not an emptying to come to a place of nothingness so that you can have zen or you can be a, you know, absorbed into and have nirvana. The goal, my friends, in Christian meditation is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. 
That's what David says, right? Oh, I hunger and thirst. I earnestly desire in Psalm 63 to hunger after the courts of God, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. It is not devoid of meditation, but meditation centering on God. And there's something beautiful that happens when you do that. Somehow all of our pain, all of our stress, all of our tension, all of our angst just has a way of settling down in the, in the face of our almighty God, right? It is not to get to a place of getting beyond all that, but it's when you focus on Jesus, everything else falls in place, right? And Jesus would get away. But part of our problem, my friends, is that we are addicted to noise. Isn't it? We're at a lovely meal with our partner or our spouse, and what do we want to do? Take pictures of our little food. It's just like pasta. What's wrong with you, you know? We take pictures like, I got put on Instagram, you know? And, and our lives revolve around the line. Listen, you all do that, that's fine, all right? But I'm really talking about how we shape our lives around noise, around the likes and loves of so many people. And some of us, it's social media. Some of us, we get into the car. And some of you, I know, you're like, those kids, social media, all that garbage. Listen, we do the same thing, right? We get into our car and we start blasting our radio, right? We walk into our home and we turn on our TV and the TV is going all night. Some of us are so addicted to noise that we won't even turn the TV off or the news off. Because we are sweet, and, and, and it's something that we need to pay attention to. Why is it that we are like that? And I want to challenge you, my friends. I wonder if you are uncomfortable with the quiet, if it is because your heart is not at rest. That all of a sudden you have to deal with your internal thoughts, and it's scary to do that. But here's my challenge for you. If Jesus could put pause on everybody and everything and get away with his disciples for some quiet, we can do so too. Amen? We ain't more important than Jesus. So here's my challenge for you. Would you take 30 minutes this week to get, schedule it in your calendar to get away to a place for quiet. I'm not talking about your prayer time. That's something else. I'm not talking about filling this time of 30 minutes with prayer, with a lot of words. What I'm challenging you to do is just sit quietly in God's presence. For me, it's the water. I love going by the water and just standing by the water, just staring into the water. And, and it's just allowing my soul to pour out to God without words, right? And you'll see, you'll feel yourself having a hundred million thoughts come to mind. But just direct them to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you this thought. Jesus, I give you this thought, right? It's, it's not about you needing to like figure out a solution, but it's just be present and let him minister to you in the quiet. Jesus got away from all of the noise for sweet communion. Now, here's another danger that we have in our culture. We make a really big deal out of self-care. Now, I'm a believer of self-care. This is part of self-care. But we can make a really big deal out of it and be really selfish about it. Yeah, we can say, oh, this is me time. You ain't got, you know, we, we, can, we do all kinds of stuff with this, right? But notice, part of being attentive to God, part of the point of getting away is so that we can tune into God. And when we tune into God, we also have to tune in to sometimes godly interruptions. 
godly interruptions, things that God might send our way. And that's what you see with Jesus. Jesus gets away, the crowds follow him, but he doesn't see them as a nuisance. He doesn't see them as you are, you are, you know, messing up my plan, right? He is moved by compassion and he welcomes them and he, because he realizes these are sheep without a shepherd and then he welcomes them and begins to teach them. And so here's my, uh, here's my point. Yes, we get away, but we also are not selfish about it and we want to be open to godly interruptions that allow us to be other-centered. When you get close to God, God allows our gaze to fall on others. It is not for, ooh, I am so nice. Oh, my heart is so pure. No, no, it's not for you. Closeness to Jesus, Jesus is for the purpose of others. So the disciples come, right? So Jesus receives them, ministers to them, teaches them. And the Bible tells us he taught them into the sundown, right? Now, you, some of you might think I'm long-winded, right? Try Jesus. I mean, he'd have you here till sundown, all right? I mean, Jesus was speaking for so long that the people, I mean, sun was down already, and so the disciples come and they say, Jesus, we have a solution. You need to send the crowds away. Now, we're told that there's 5,000 men alone here, and around most of the villages around that time had just a few hundred people. There were a couple of towns that were large around this particular area. There was probably one big city of about 15,000, but rest all of it were pretty small. So when they talk about 5,000 men, Folks, this is not a men's breakfast at Johnny Rockets, right? This is, this is they just used to count heads of households those days. So it's 5,000 men plus, you know, women and children. So we're talking about a sizable gathering here. And so they tell them, let them go. Let them go into all of the villages so that they can eat. And Jesus says to them, you give them something. Interesting, huh? And then the disciples say, hey, Jesus, it will cost half a year of Pastor Kevin's salary to feed all these people, right? And now think about this. Think about this. These people, they did the math, right? Now think about this. Now this is Jesus early in his ministry, right? This is first year of ministry, and there has been incredible momentum. Now, I don't know about you. But so far, chapter 6, healings, miracles, signs and wonders, demoniacs are being healed. There's this amazing move of, the God, move of God. And these disciples see themselves as what? As the consultants to Jesus, you know, presidential campaign. Now, I don't know about you. If I was Jesus' advisor, I would say the same thing. I'd say, listen, Jesus, there's all these thousands of people. You don't want this liability on your head. You know, there's going to be litigation, like someone's going to hurt, get hurt, and then this is going to fall on you. You are just starting. I mean, this is amazing momentum. But this ain't your problem. Send them away. Send them away. In other words, they're saying, Jesus, let us not take on this problem. However, Jesus knows their solution they're offering is a no solution. Why? Because even if they go into all of the villages and the towns, the sun has already gone down. Most shops are already closed. They are by a sea. There's fish, but there's no fish, fishermen selling fish by the end of the night. There's only something in the morning. So there is no way, even if the shops were open, there just wouldn't be enough for all these thousands of people. So in other words, and one of the other gospels say, Jesus says, feed them because I don't want them to perish on the way. So what they are doing, these disciples, is they want the glib satisfaction of, I've addressed the problem. 
and I've saved the company money. And I found a solution, and the solution is, it's your problem, it's not my problem. Think about it. These guys are bean counters. They even counted how much it will cost. And they are asking, should we take money out of the bank for this? Think about that. They're saying, should we really take the money out of the bank for this? Oh, Jesus' response is powerful. He says, you give them something to eat. My friends, here's the point. The Jesus way is always missional. Jesus is driven by mission. Jesus wants to reach people. Jesus wants to provide for people. Jesus wants the sick healed and the hungry fed. He ain't thinking about how much money is there in the bank because guess what? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So if you need money, what do you need to tell Jesus? Sell some cows. Right? That's the bottom line. Gee, the, the part of our challenge, my friends, and I, have to, I, I do this with a lot of my students at the seminary. So many of our students, they, I mean, of course, they are born and bred in New York, right? So they've been told the way for you to be successful, for you to meet all your needs, is you need to figure this out. You need to stand by your bootstrap. You need to work that extra job. You need to put yourself through. And somehow... In this process of embracing this vision, we tell ourselves, I am responsible to provide for my needs. Now, friends, I know that's what our culture says, and I know that's what we teach our kids. But when you follow Jesus, guess what? Jesus will ask you to do some things that you don't have money to pay for. Faith means doing things beyond what we can humanly see and humanly do because faith means you're trusting in God's provision because you're trusting in His direction. So part of what I have to tell my students is I have to always ask them when they come and tell me, I do this job, that job, and I'm like not sleeping at night and my family's breaking up. I have to say, did God tell you to take that extra job? Very simple question. I remember I was seven, 18 years old. I had come here as an international student, and I, we were not really, oh, this is being recorded, but we were only allowed to work on campus. Yeah, don't tell anybody, right? And so I started, like, working uh, for a friend doing construction work. And I would work all week at the campus doing, because uh, I was allowed to legally work on campus, and then I'd work extra to try to like make enough money to pay tuition. I mean, this is not for me to get an Air Jordans or something. I'm just, it's just to pay tuition, you know? And we, we, we didn't have any money. And one day I was putting the, pulling the, pushing the wheelbarrow, nothing against wheel, wheelbarrows, right? And I mean, I'd come home with like a nose full of, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And one day I just felt like the Lord asked me, did I ask you to do this? And I couldn't answer yes. And so that night I quit. And, and God opened other doors for, to provide for me. But the point is for me to answer, every, for a disciple of Jesus, every question we have to answer is, is God calling us to do this? So that we don't think we are God and we are responsible to provide for our needs. So in this point, the point is, God calls us to live missionally, to think about the kingdom and to work in terms of the kingdom and trust him to provide. And so Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and check. Go and see. Beautiful, huh? They come back and say, we got five loaves and two fish. Now, the analysts were accurate in their report. 
but their understanding of reality allowed them to give a report, propose a strategy, but they didn't even believe in it themselves. Notice, they returned from their ministry trip. Jesus had sent them saying, don't take food for yourselves. Don't take, take a staff. Don't even take extra clothes. And he provided from them in the previous chapter, but they couldn't apply it to their ministry in the next chapter. But here's my point, my friends. These folks bring the loaves, and notice, I love this. It's barley loaves. Now, barley loaves are not your multigrain bread that you get at Costco. All right, this is not Swedish rye bread that you get at Panera. This ain't no special bread that you're like, ooh, barley is the food of the poor, right? It's poor man's food, barley, loaves, and two fish. And what Jesus does is he takes this. And it's very interesting what Jesus does. He takes this, loaves and the fish. The Bible says he blesses it, and then he breaks it. And then he gives it to them. Notice, he receives it, he blesses it, he thanks God for it, he breaks it, and then he gives it back. It's this beautiful metaphor for our lives, isn't it? We bring our lives to God. God receives it in his wounded hands, and he blesses them, heals us, blesses us, restores us, fills us with grace. And then in his own miraculous way, he breaks it so that it can be of usefulness. Now, we love the blessedness of it, right? Now, if I were to just preach on blessing and we took up an offering, ah, we'd have a lot of money, right? Because we'd, like, we'd be like, oh, God's going to bless you. Pass down, shaken together, running over. We love that stuff, right? Give a 10, you're going to get a 100. You know what the Greek word for that is? Garbage. It's nonsense. It's foolishness. Please, don't ever give money to these guys on TV. They're simply padding their pockets. It's absolutely garbage. We love blessing, though, because there's this thing, oh, if I give a little, I can get more, right? But the blessing that Jesus is talking about is Jesus received it, gave thanks to the Father, gratitude for this life, and then he broke it. Now, we don't like breaking. Because we want the blessing without the breaking. We want the usefulness without the breaking because we want to say, but Jesus... That loaf, when it was together, was so pretty. Have you ever tried to break a baguette? It crumbles all over the place, right? Whatever, Italian or whatever, you know, or parata for us. Whatever, you, I mean, it's going to crumble all over the place. Just give one full loaf to everybody, Jesus. Wouldn't that make sense? Everybody gets their own loaf. This is America, right? We would love that. <laughs> But Jesus doesn't do an entire loaf. He breaks it and he gives it. Why? To remind us that all of us are part of each other. He breaks it and he gives it to others. Now, here's the point. Without the breaking, there can't be giving. Without the breaking, there can't be giving. So here's the question I want you to imagine with me. So we all love this story. You've heard this a thousand times, right? Have you ever imagined when and how this happened? Have you ever thought about when did the multiplication take place? So yes, the, we're told in the Gospel of John it was a little boy that came. The little boy came and gave it to this. Here, you can have my five loaves. Interestingly, 
5,000 men didn't have it, but a little boy had it. Interesting, huh? And so, hey, the women didn't have it either. Only a boy had it. But the point is, he comes, he gives us five loaves and two fish, and Jesus takes it, right? But at what point did it multiply? If you watch the Jesus movies, you know, you see the basket, right? You see all the loaves, like, lined up real nice. And then all of a sudden, when a basket is lifted and a loaf is given, another loaf takes its place, right? It's kind of how we just think the loaves multiplied. But notice, the scripture tells us what they picked up was not loaves of bread. What they picked up was 12 basket full, baskets full of broken loaves. Which tells us that it's somehow in the breaking and the giving that the multiplication took place. My point is this, my friends. Unless we are broken, unless we are, we allow the Lord to break us. Some of us are so gifted and so talented and we've spent the bulk of our lives staring our, at ourselves in the mirror, taking selfies of ourselves and saying, look how nice I am, look how athletic I am. I can bench this much, I can run this much. Ugh, I was the queen, you know, whatever, homecoming queen or whatever. I mean, we've, we've spent our entire lives looking at ourselves about our strengths and our gifts and our bank accounts. And somehow the Lord is saying, unless we are broken, we can't be of usefulness to others. It is in the breaking that humbling takes place. It's in the breaking that consecration takes place. And once our gifts and our talents are consecrated to the Lord, then the Lord can use it to bless the thousands. I want to close with a story. I was in India last week to do a wedding, and uh, I came, so once I got there, I realized that uh, I had traveled with a shirt, uh, which was like a French cuff shirt that needed cufflinks, but I forgot my cufflinks. How many of you have done that, right? So I forgot my cufflinks, and so I get home to India, and I ask my dad, Dad, do you have like a white shirt that I can wear? No, my dad and I can wear similar sizes. So I ask him, do you have a white shirt that I can wear tomorrow? And so dad pulls out a shirt, a Kirkland white shirt that is still in the case. Now I love Costco, right? So I looked at the shirt and I'm like, dad, this was the shirt I brought you when I came in June. <laughs> it's still in the packet. And he's like, yeah, yeah. My, my mom said, no, no, he's waiting for the right occasion. I'm like, it's just Kirkland. You're acting like it's Hugo Boss. But either way. You know, so he pulls out the shirt, you know, and then, of course, you know, and, and, and then I think about my mom, right? My mom, they were both retired back to India uh, last year and two years ago. And then when my mom retired, she retired with a hundred bedsheets. There was enough bedsheets till Jesus comes back home, you know what I mean? You, there were bedsheets for you to sleep on and, like, ruin. And, I mean, you, you could, like, I mean, this in a, for a thousand years of bedsheets, you know. I don't know if you know people like this. It stays in the cupboard, never comes out, you know, whatever. And so it's waiting for the right occasion. But then, of course, the floods happened. Some of you remember the floods happened a year ago, and they lost everything. The whole house got flooded. And so part of the great pain was there was enough saris and enough saris that have never been worn once and bed sheets that have been never taken out of the covers, and Kirkland shirts that were never taken out of the covers that's just been sitting there. Because unless it was broken, unless it was opened, it can't be of use. It is just thrown out later. My friends, may our lives not be like that. 
your blessing, your usefulness comes from opening your lives and giving it to the hands of Jesus to say, Lord, here is my broken life. Here is, it's not much, it's only barley. I don't even have Swedish rye, but you take my barley. Please bless it and feed the thousands. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite the communion service to come forward. But I want to take a moment right now and ask you if you will bow your hearts and pray. We're going to approach the Lord's table. This is the Lord's table. It's not Ridgeway's table. It is the Lord who invites you to his table. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I invite you. Would you be like that little boy to come to Jesus and just offer your life to him and say, Lord, it's not much. It's a mess. It's broken. I've got bones in it. It's not nice fillets, but God, please, can you take my life and make usefulness come from it please bless it and break it for your kingdom would you pray that on the night in which jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said take eat this is my body that is broken for you in the same manner after supper he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant of my blood that is shed for you, broken and bruised for your healing. Take of this and drink from this all of you deeply, for I will not drink of this again until I come in my heavenly kingdom. Jesus invites you, my friends, to his table. And in some mysterious way, unless we receive of his broken body and his blood, we have no part in him will you pray with me Lord we come to your table not because we deserve it but because we are undeserving of it we don't have much to offer you but we come with our lives and we ask oh God that you would take it bless it and multiply it to be a blessing we pray in Jesus name Amen the communion servers will be up front our usher will dismiss you row by row. We allow communion service coming to the balcony and to the overflow room. Come prepare your hearts. If you need gluten-free options, it'll be in the middle. If you'd like to have separate cups, individual cups, you can come to the table. Come as the Lord invites you.